Well, Captain Churcher, Thomas. <laughs> Brother, I love you much. Please come. Good evening. Hello again. It's been a while since we got a got a visit. I was thinking. Solomon, the Lord said, was the wisest man born of Adam that walked this earth. And he says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For that's the end of all men, and the living lay it to his heart. So it would be good for us tonight if we could lay his word to our heart. That's our end. And we need to hear a word from him. That's what we need. If you will, turn with me to, we'll be in John 8, but turn to John chapter 7. I always appreciate a conference. It's like a family reunion. Isn't it? We gather together, have a time of rejoicing. In our homes, my children, they have to eat vegetables at each meal. They have to have some protein. They have to have a fruit and a vegetable. They have to have some nutrients in them. They've got to watch them. They can't have too much soda. They can't have too much sugar. We watch it. Dessert's a rare thing. You know, you have a cookout. You have a family reunion. You go to a conference. I loved them as a child. I was one that always liked casseroles. And uh, from a young age, boy, they're gonna have cakes and eat hot dogs and chips. Mom and Dad ain't even looking. I enjoyed it. We don't have to have multiple vitamins. We don't have to watch it too close. We just have sweet things and eat today. Okay. John will give you your vegetables next week. I hope I can just bring dessert. See what I'm getting at. Here in John seven, our Lord had been preaching. He was preaching here and talking in the synagogues. And he it says that there was a division because of him. And that's always the reason of division. Man can make it out to whatever they want. They'll have different denominations on the size of hat they wear, or whatever it may be. But if it's, if it's between believers and unbelievers, it's, it's over the gospel. It's because of him. What well, thank you of Christ? Whose son is he? That's what he asked for. Well, because of this division, there were some officers sent by the Pharisees to go fetch him. And it says there in verse 46, they'd come back and failed their mission. <laughs> John 7, 46 says, The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who know not the law are cursed. Nicodemus said unto them, He that came of, came of Jesus by not being one of them. John didn't yet say he was one of us. He still said he was one of them. He asked, Doth our law, our law, listen to these common folks that's following this, this man named Jesus. They don't know the law. They're condemned already. Nicodemus says, No, don't our law. Our law, judge any man before it hear and know what he doeth. They answered and said unto him, Art thou also Galilee? Search and look. For out of Galilee riseth no prophet. They said, You go home and read your Bible, Nicodemus. What's wrong with you? No prophet ever came out of Galilee. Well, Jonah did, didn't he? <laughs> They're starting off on the wrong foot. And every man went to his own house. They went back to their houses. They had fallen out and they went home. Where did our Lord go? Chapter 8, verse 1. John 8, verse 1. 
Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. From a young age, he said, I must be about my Father's business. Aren't you thankful? Amen. Are I thankful? Verse 2 says, And early in the morning he came again into the pit temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. He taught them. He sat down on the outside of that temple, right on the front steps, and he taught the people. What about the division? What about these things? Oh no, what's his father's business? He's going to teach his children. There's a whole lot of other stuff going on these children need taught. What about them big wigs? Don't matter what they think. These children need taught. And he sat down and he taught them. What did he teach? The very same things he always taught in his public ministry, didn't he? You can go read Matthew Beginning in Matthew chapter 5, he saw a great multitude. He went up on a mountain. He sat down. That's how they talked back then. They read standing up. And he talked sitting down. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. He begins with the Beatitudes. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He tells them there in Matthew 5, he came to fulfill the law. He said, Thank not that I've come to destroy this law. Or the prophets. I've not come to destroy, but to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill the law. Does that mean he's going to do real good? Oh, he explained what that law really meant. Does he have a good handle on it? He wrote the law, didn't he? He knows what he's talking about. He told them what it meant. Well, we know what it meant. We can read it. Uh, he knows what it means. He knew what he meant by the law. He explained what that law meant. He said, your anger with your brother without a cause is to kill him. Well, I never murdered nobody. You ever been kind of upset at somebody had a stop sign? And green lights wouldn't turn green enough on our way over here. I was in a hurry to look on a woman who's committed adultery already in the heart. He says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Does that mean they was holy? No. But you're going to clean the outside of the cup and the inside of the cup, and you can't do that. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard them bold said, Thou shalt not kill. They're in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. He explained to them what this law meant. Nicodemus said, our law? Oh, no, it's his law. He told what it meant. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So he told you. If you have a question, what did Christ teach on this earth? Somebody ever says, what, what did Jesus teach? What did the Lord teach while he walked this earth? Go read them three chapters. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Sermon on the Mount. Maybe giving eyes to see. He didn't teach like other people. He didn't teach like what we see on television today. So it came to pass when Jesus said, Into these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. The root word of authority is author. He authored it, he had authority. And John 3 taught Nicodemus that was standing there. He said, you must be born again. And he said, how can these things be, Lord? How can these things be? And he said, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He taught that. That's what he taught. He said, if any man thirst, there in John 7, let him come unto me. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. He said, I'm life. That's what he taught. God in human flesh sat down 
on the front of this tabernacle, on the steps, and he talked. Can you imagine that? Hmm. What would that be like to hear him speak? I pray he's pleased to teach one of us tonight. Hey. Some of them. Might be me. That's, I'll take it if it's me. <laughs> Love to hear a word from him. These scribes and Pharisees knew he was teaching these people. And they couldn't have that. Those false prophets, they, they find people to follow after themselves, don't they? They couldn't have it. They're mad at this guy. He's baptizing people and, and, and people were happy. Oh, I can't have that at all. People were religious peace. Can't have, you can't control people that are peaceful, that are happy. They'll do what they want. And so they said, well, let's discredit him. We're going to prove he's a false prophet to those people. And he's against Moses. He's against the law. He's against the prophets. He came to destroy the law. That's what he's doing. He's wrecking everything. And he said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. Those religious church-going folks, they were going to attempt to teach the Lord something. How this time? They sought to kill him, sought to stone him, sought to cast him off a hill, sought to do all these things. Now we're going to line him out. We'll prove him wrong in front of everybody. How are they going to do it? Here in John 8, verse 3. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master. That seems respectful, doesn't it? Her mouth said one thing and their heart meant another. Master. That's what Judas said. Master. This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. They showed up to him, for him to call this situation, and they gave him all the facts. They gave him facts. So you have to have to make a decision, isn't it? Facts. And then they gave him an ultimatum. You have to make a decision. Verse 5. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? What a question. What did Moses say in the law? Are you interested in that? John told us to try the spirits, didn't he? Leviticus chapter 20. We read the scriptures out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Leviticus 20. If you have to have two or three witnesses, I would always recommend one of those witnesses be the Word of God. And you better have a good hand in the one. Because we'll be judged out of our own mouth, won't we? Leviticus 20. Let's see if these Pharisees left something out. They brought this woman. We all know that, don't we? We've heard this story. Adultery's wrong. A heathen has that written on their heart, but Jones somewhere. They know that ain't right. We know this. Were they right? Let's see if they left something out. Leviticus 20, verse 10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and... Your Bible say and? And... The adulteress shall surely be put to death. Both of them. Both of them. We read over in Deuteronomy 22. If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, then shall both of them die. The man that lay with the woman and the woman. So shall they put away evil from Israel. Both of them have to die. Now they said she's caught in the very act. Which, it wasn't rumors of an act. It wasn't... Uh, they might have heard something from down the street by two or three witnesses even. She was caught in the very act. Well, where's the fellow? Where's the man? If they were doing what Moses said, they would have brought both of them 
Maybe it was one of them. Maybe it's one of their friends. Those who stress the law, those who stand on the law, usually the very ones breaking it while doing so. Paul said they command you to keep the law, they don't even keep it themselves. Back in our text. This law that the Lord gave, it is just and it is holy. Yes, it is. And the law offers no mercy. It was written in stone, wasn't it? It wasn't written on sheet pods. It wasn't written in dirt. It was written in stone. It's unbendable. It's holy. It's just. It's good. But this law condemns. It says the woman and the man are guilty and they should be stoned. Scriptures say the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. What a faithful schoolmaster this is. This isn't wavering. It isn't bending. It's a faithful schoolmaster. The interest of these Pharisees was not upholding the holy law of God but discrediting Christ and bringing this woman to shame was just icing on the cake for him. Proving he was a false prophet to those that listened to him, to his teachings, and get those people back under their control. That's what he's trying to do. They bring this woman, they quote the law to him, and they ask him, what sayest thou? What do you say? These men meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Unknowingly. Against all their judgment, against her judgment, what she wanted to do, against her comfort. They had some uncomfortable times in this too. In sin, she was at sin, she was at war with God, she was brought to Christ. By the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you with wicked hands and slew. The Lord purposed this, didn't they? They meant this for evil. A child of his, his was being brought to him. Do I have the nerve to discredit his means? To judge his means? Who really brought her? The, they are the secondary means, but the primary means is always the Lord. He said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And he said, Bring my children from afar. <laughs> Do I obey his command? Well, they were crafty. The enemy of the Lord and his people are crafty. They're not subpar. And the wiles of the devil are easily discerned. This is devious. This is cunning. This is, what do you say? If the Lord says stone, thought this through. What say you? Here's the law. Here's the fact. She did it. What do you say? If he says stoner, those people that's been listening to him, those people he's been preaching to and teaching, they're going to realize he's no different than them Pharisees. Like Nicodemus, Nicodemus being one of them. He's just one of them. There's no difference. In the teaching of Christ, there was hope. There was grace. There was mercy to be found. Amen. There was life to be had. There was water to drink. There was bread to eat spiritually. This was some, this wasn't some cold dead law. This was a man. This is a person. He spoke to us. No man spake like him. He gave, this, he gave rest. He gave pardon. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there and him was multiplied to me at Calvary. That person in the work of Christ. That's pardon. That's mercy. That's grace. That's what he is. This is why all the publicans, all the sinners, all the harlots, all the sick, all the guilty, they came to hear him. Never a man spake like this. Why well, ain't going home? They all went to the houses after this big disagreement, didn't they? Where were these folks the next morning? Outside waiting on him. <laughs> Is he coming back? Was it six? Maybe he needed breakfast. When's he getting here? 
They needed Him, didn't they? They had peace with Him. Not with these legalists. Not with these ones carrying the law deceitfully. With them, there's no hope for the guilty. There's no rest for the guilty. It's cold. It's rigid. And it could not give life. All it can do is declare guilt. That's all it can do. This woman was guilty just like those ones that the Lord was just preaching to on those steps. She's guilty like I'm guilty. She's guilty like His people are guilty. Like sinners are guilty. And if He says, Stoner, there goes hope for me and you. If there's no hope for her, there's no hope for me. Let's go home. Pack it up. What we're going to do. And... If he says stoner, there's no hope for us. And if he says let her go, without doing what the law says, without finding her guilty, she had done wrong. The accusers will say, we told you he despised Moses. We told you he came to destroy this law. It's a shame. That's all you're getting. You got sold a bill of goods. He's saying it and pretend. He's telling you everything is as if. As if. But justice not satisfied. It can't be true. They have to stand on one. So that's the very, very old question. Isn't it? How would you answer this? Somebody said, what do we do? Do we stone her? Or do you let her go? Justice must be satisfied. And here's a sinner to pardon. What do you do? I wouldn't want to be put in that position. <laughs> that's the very, very old question. And it rings today. It should be. It should ring today. Oh, if I could get everybody to, to, to take that serious with earnest eternal life and death to know Him. How can God punish this adulteress and let her loose? How can that happen? Job asked that, didn't he? He said, I know this is the truth, but how should man be just with God? How is this going to happen? How is he going to be just and justified? Verse 5 again. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such things, <coughs> such should be stoned. What sayest thou? And they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. That's why they're doing this. Here's where mercy begins. Here's where there's hope for the hopeless. Right here in verse 6. You ready? But Jesus stooped down. Amen. <laughs> How many weeks could we spend on that? <laughs> the one who thought it not robbery to be equal with God because he was God stooped down. Stoop down to this earth. Stoop down to this sin-cursed world. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He came down that you and I may be lifted up. He was humbled that we may be exalted in Him. He was, he was made sin that we might be made His righteousness. What a thought. He stooped down. You talk about condescension. And then when He's here in their behalf, He stooped down. He took a knee. Verse 6 says, They said, tempting him, that they might have accused him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. That's an italics, but I want to touch on it. There's just a couple of translations that fits in. Just because someone's fighting against the Lord and they're fighting his gospel and they're fighting his people, do not pretend like he does not hear them. Just because he might not seem as though he heard them and immediately respond, don't be fooled that he is slack like men are. There in Genesis 18, the Lord heard the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
their sin, whatever they were crying out, he heard every idle word of it. What a thought. I have no idea what the Lord wrote. I have some ideas and I ain't going to tell it. <laughs> That's heresy. Do you know that? That's where the root word of heresy comes from. To take oneself a choice, an opinion. Well, I think. I think. I, I don't want to know. I don't want y'all to know what my heresy is. I want to know what he says. What does he think? That's what I'm worried about. What's the first time the Lord used this faith? There's three times recorded in the Scripture that a finger was used of the Lord to write something. I'll read these to you. Deuteronomy 9. It says, The Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God. Moses said that. And on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the sin. And it came to pass that in the forty days and forty nights that the Lord gave me two tablets of stone the tablets of the covenant. That first covenant, the covenant of the law, was given in stone and written with the finger of God. He came down to these stone on earth and wrote with his finger. He gave us the law. Now these Pharisees, they've had this law a long time at this point. A couple thousand years after this. And they've only applied it to others. They've only applied it to others, not themselves. They never was trapped on a deserted island. You, I tell you all that before. There's a man on a deserted island one time. He finally got rescued. There's three houses, three little huts built. And they said, what's in huts? He said, well, that one's my house. And they said, well, what's that one? He said, that's where I go to church. He said, where's that other one? They said, well, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> got tired of going there, didn't he? These applied this law to others, not themselves. Paul wrote to us, he said, now we know that what sort of things the law saith, it saith that they were under the law that... The reason for that, that every mouth may be stopped and the world may become guilty before God. I see guilt in other people, but I see guilt in me. That's what's needed. It says there in verse 7, John 8, 7. So when they continued asking Him, they hadn't been stopped yet, had they? They hadn't been shut up to sin. They hadn't been shut up to the law. So when they continued, He lifted up Himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you let him cast the stone at her. He threw it back in their court. He said, examine yourselves. This wasn't a law for somebody else. This wasn't a law for that sinner. This wasn't, she wasn't under it. This is a law for them. If you, have, if you have no sin, pick up a stone and you throw it at her. Wow, now we have to examine ourselves, don't we? Our Lord wouldn't finish with them. It says in verse 8, and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. We just, just read. See, the first time the Lord came with His finger and wrote on this earth was on that stone. He wrote the law, didn't He? Second time He came, He wrote His fingers with His finger on a wall. Belshazzar had a big party. Didn't he? he took the things of the temple, the things used to honor God, and had a party with them. After Nebuchadnezzar was out of the picture. And a hand was writing on the wall. It says they drank wine and praised God of gold and gods of silver and brass and iron and wood and stone and all this just nonsense, playing religions, all this doing. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand. A man's hand. And wrote all over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. You'd see his face. You'd see all of him. No man seen God live. I saw part of the hand. Part that was a man writing on the wall. And we remember what that was? You read it, Daniel 5. 
interpretations, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. The first time the Lord came to this earth with his finger to write something was on stone. It was the law. The second time, or in Daniel 5, he came, he wrote on the wall, that's the end state of the law, if we're found outside of Christ. We're found wanted. We've been weighed and we ain't worth nothing. Our end's been determined. First the law was written, then we got the results of the law. Here's the third time. John 8, 8. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience. Now, they weren't convicted by the Holy Spirit of sin. The Lord said, I'll send the comforter. And the Holy Ghost would come. He's going to convict of sin, convict of righteousness, convict of judgment. They weren't convicted of, they were sin, just their consciences were pricked. I just don't want to be wrong in front of this man. Being convicted by their own conscience went one by one, beginning with the eldest, even to the last. What do you write on that ground? I don't know, something to convict their consciences. Not to say, never a man spoke like this. Leave him alone. Or we will not have this man reign over us. No man's going to tell me what I've done. I'm out of here. What's the reason? Any reason boils back to there's division because of him. Isn't it? I've compared myself to him instead of being made one with him and desiring him, I want nothing to do with it. That's the, that's the two sides of the fence. I want to be in him or, or out of him. An in-law or an outlaw. They went one by one being the eldest unto the last and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst, just him and her. And when Jesus had lifted up himself, this is how he's just and justified. God Almighty became human flesh, came into this earth. He fulfilled the law. That's what was with the finger, wasn't it? Whatever was written was concerns that law. He came to this earth, came down in the mire pit underneath the earth, fulfilled the law, and he lifted himself up. And saw none but the woman. His eyes was fixed on her alone. When he was exalted, set the right hand of God for what? To ever live and make intercession, intercession just for her. And you who believe, just for you. And just for me. And just for you. Just for you. Yes, sir. And he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Well, do you remember what we was here for? Somebody snatched you up by the arm and drug you here. Where'd they go? She said, No man, Lord. They come and said, Master, Rabbi, Teacher, we'll sort you out. We got, we got a hard question for you to answer. We got a pigeonhole. We got a painting in the corner. This one, who had nowhere to go. Just like, like Onesimus carrying that letter to Philemon. He wrote it. That's right, Lord. Paul said he was an unprofitable servant. He said, I was an unprofitable servant. Balling, right? Probably some tear stains on that letter. And he showed up to Philemon and said, That's my part of that. You take it. This woman saw whatever the Lord wrote that run all them other ones away. And she said, That's right. She took sides with God against herself. Because the Lord had done work in her heart. Made her see what she was. Made her see who that is sitting there. That's the rivers of living water flowing out of her sitting right there. And incorruptible seeds kneeled down in front of her. Life's right there. And she said, You're right, I'm nothing. 
You're everything, and all judgment's been settled. You're the one that does it. She said, No man, Lord, now he's Lord. No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. They brought her forward the condemnation of both her and the Lord. They partly knew the law, but they did not know the law of Christ. They didn't know the law of grace. That's what they've been teaching. That's why they're mad at him. They just didn't. They listened to him. They didn't hear him. It wasn't applied to him. Paul said, "Bear you one another's burdens. Go and walk in backwards and cover up adulterers caught in the act. And whoever that fellow was, cover them up. Tell them who Christ is. Tell them how God saved sinners. How you can just be just and the justifier." Paul said, "Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ." That's it. Love is it. This one they brought to her. The one that wrote the law was the only one that could free her. He's the only one that could truly bear her burdens. I want to bear your burdens. I, I, want, to, I want to be long-suffering. He's the only one that can truly bear it for eternity. And put him away as far as the east is from the west. He's the only one that can truly be long-suffering. He's the everlasting son. How long has he been long-suffering with me? He wrote the judgment of that law. And he's going to write one more time. But this time he ain't going to write on a stone. This time he's not going to write on a rock wall. This time it's not going to be in the ground. Turn to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. When the Lord and His sovereign, complete, authoritative providence that controls all things and every molecule that's ever moved, when He puts His eye on one of His children and the time has come, by whatever means pleases Him, He brings them to Christ. That law is a schoolmaster. We're going to know that He wrote the law, that it's holy just like He's holy. We're going to know we cannot keep the law. He must keep it for us. Jeremiah 33, I'm sorry, 31, verse 33. Jeremiah 31, 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law, I'm going to put my covenant of grace, that law of Christ, in their inward parts and write it in their heart. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. I'm His and he is mine. How? How can I know that there is therefore now? Just like that woman, he said, I don't condemn you. Go, sin no more. How can I know there's no condemnation for me? He said, There is therefore now no condemnation. He writes it in the heart. No, he, he gave the law, he fulfilled the law, and he's wrote it in the hearts of his people. He's freed us from the law. He stooped down, dealed the law and the sin cursed earth. He crushed the head of all of our accusers. He dealt with the law. He dealt with the devil. He dealt with the grave. Shed by shedding his blood because he lifted up himself. And now he writes peace in the hearts of his people. That's what Paul wrote to that church at Colossae. He said, "In you being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven all your trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. His handwriting that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. 
I want to go where He is being taught. Where His Word is taught. Not where somebody is whipping some kind of the law that don't know the law. A friend of mine always said, Kevin, he said, uh, you need to read your Bible before Okay? And he said, God has no hands but your hands. You ever heard this book called Psalms? You ought, to, you ought to read that sometime. That's what they say. God has no they have eyes that they don't see, ears that don't hear, hands that don't can't do nothing. They need your hands. Not this one. Hey, Not this one. I pray right in our hearts this evening. Like, is this mine? I've been yes, sir, it is. I'll share. No, here's another one there. Take courage. You would come and bring some more of that wonderful news, brother. Give us the gospel. Lord be with you, my friend. I just realized that I failed to record that first message. Is that recording on at all? You got it there? Oh. I failed. Thank you, sweetheart. That's why you got her. That's exactly right. All right, brother. Let's go in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. So good to be with you, and I apologize for not coming out this this afternoon. Today, uh, I was trying to get the message for tonight and was having some trouble good trouble, but uh, we'll see see how this goes. Brethren, I can't hear at all. And I don't know if I'm talking loud or if I'm not talking loud. So if you need me to talk louder, just do this and I'll try to pump up the volume a little bit. Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Now, this text, we have Joseph and we have his brothers. And what we have here is believers. Believers. In Joseph's brothers and in Joseph. But Joseph is also a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to have a little bit of an introduction here and I may get to preaching for the introduction. If I do, I may just have to preach the rest of this tomorrow night. But I do want to give you the introduction because it's very important. Very important. Now let's just begin here in verse 15. That's where we'll sort of jump off. Genesis 50 verse 15 says, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us. He will he'll repay us all the evil which we did unto Him. Now, you know this story, and I'm going to, but I'm going to rehearse it for, especially for those that might not know it, the young people here. And I'm going to preach to Josiah tonight, and I'll, so the rest of y'all can get in on this if you want to, but I'm going to try to make this plain enough that Josiah can understand this. I want 
is to be plain. Brother Kevin always preaches plain, and I want to preach plain. I want you to hear this. Now years before this, when Joseph was 17, Joseph's brethren hated Joseph. They hated him. Now why did they hate him? They, they committed evil against him. Why did they hate him and commit evil against him? Why do men by nature hate the Lord Jesus Christ? And that's what Scripture says. The carnal mind is enmity against God. Why do men hate God by nature? Why do men hate, hate God's people and the gospel that we preach? Why do natural men do so? Well, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. This was his favorite son. He made Joseph a coat of many colors. He was his favorite son. And in that, there is a type of the fact that Christ is the preeminent choice son of God the Father. He's the only begotten son. He is the choice son of God the Father. And Joseph declared a dream to his brethren. He said, we were in a in this dream, he said, we were in the field, and he said, and I had some sheaves. That's where you gather together all the, the wheat. And he had your sheaf, and he said, and you had some sheaves, telling his brethren. And he said, and my sheaf rose up, and all your sheaves bowed down to my sheaf. And the meaning of that was that Joseph's brethren were one day going to bow down to Joseph. And now you can just imagine if your younger brother said to you, one day y'all are all going to bow down to me. Well, he didn't only tell that dream. He told another dream about how the stars and the moon would bow down to him. And in that, what he was saying, and, and he told this to his father Jacob. And his brethren again said, Are you saying our father and our mother's going to bow to you, Joseph? And Jacob even rebuked him for this. His father rebuked him for this, but his father hid those words away in his heart too and thought about those words. Well, another thing Joseph did was he told his father about the sin of his brethren. Our Lord Jesus said, if I had not come, they had had no cloak for they They had had no... Uh, no sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. They got no disguise for their sin. Christ is perfect. He's the perfect Son of God. And He come down and took flesh and being the perfect Son of God made in comparison, made everybody know He's righteous and we're not righteous. He's perfect and we're not perfect. And, and what those dreams signify is is all men all men without exception are going to bow down to God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. They are all going to bow. In the day of judgment, all are going to bow and confess that He is Lord to the praise and glory of God. But in this lifetime, all who are God's elect, all who God purposed to save by God's grace shall bow down, be made willing and bow down and confess Him to be Lord and Savior. 
So this is what we have pictured in Joseph. Now, due to men, men's proud sin nature, before God gives a grave, gives a new heart, we hate Christ just like Joseph's brethren hated him. They hated him. Whenever the Lord Jesus came into this world, men said, we will not have this man reign over us. And that's what Joseph's brethren were saying. We won't have Joseph reign over us. And so one day, they threw Joseph in a pit. And then one of them got the idea when they saw these slave traders go by, they got the idea, let's sell him to those slave traders. And they did. And so they took Joseph. Now you just imagine this. This is the evil they committed. They sold their brother. And these they sold him into slavery. And these slave traders took Joseph down to Egypt. And that wasn't all. Joseph gets down to Egypt. There was a man named Potiphar who made Joseph, gave him charge over his house, and Potiphar's wife lied on Joseph and accused Joseph of rape. And Joseph was arrested and thrown into prison. All this because his brothers hated him and sold him into slavery. Well, by the providence of God, Pharaoh needed a dream interpreted. And nobody could interpret this dream. And there's Joseph, been in jail now, in prison for a long time. And they called Joseph, and he interpreted the dream for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh saw how wise Joseph was. He told him a famine's coming. And he told him how they could be saved from this famine. And so Pharaoh, in God's providential hand ruling all this, Joseph raised, I mean, Pharaoh raised up Joseph to be the head over all Egypt. And Joseph put up corn in the storehouse during the plentiful years. So when the famine came, he was in charge over the whole land and over the storehouses. And Pharaoh told the people, Go to Joseph. And Joseph provided corn. He provided life for the people and saved the people through the famine. All of that's picturing the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. He was despised. He was rejected of men. We lied on Him. But our Lord Jesus Christ, and, and in our hatred of Him, we nailed Him to a cursed tree. But our Lord Jesus Christ bore the sin of all His people and thoroughly honored God's holy law by what He was doing and put away all the sin of His people so that God, being so well pleased with Him, raised Him to His right hand and gave Him the kingdom. He has all power in heaven and earth and He has the storehouse and He is the life of the storehouse and He is the one that God the Father says go to Him. You want life? Go to Christ. This is not life. What we're experiencing right here in this world, this is not life. Life is the Lord Jesus Christ. Life is having the Lord Jesus Christ. Life is Him giving to you 
everything you need to live for eternity with God. We need righteousness, perfect righteousness. We need holiness. We need life. Righteousness and life are the same. That's Amen. what righteousness is. Why did death enter? Because we sinned in Adam. And sin is death. Righteousness, perfect righteousness, is life. There is no sin when you're made perfectly righteous. And when you're made perfectly righteous and there is no sin, you have life, eternal life. That's the picture here with Joseph. That's the picture with Joseph. Well, just like Joseph had told this dream about these brothers going to bow down to him and the father going to bow down to him, when that famine came, it came to Joseph's father and his brothers. And God spoke to them, not just the hand of providence bringing the famine. Don't just ever judge by providence. You will go wrong if you judge by providence. There was another man named Elimelech, and he judged just by providence. He was in Bethel, the house of bread, and, and a famine came. And he looked at Moab, and it was they had, they had some bread in Moab, and he thought, well, it must be God's will for me to go to Moab. And he took his family to Moab and left the house of bread and went to Moab and went down into a country where there where God had never put his name and he didn't have the gospel. He did that's like leaving the gospel. Don't ever just judge by providence. God didn't just send a famine. God sent his word to Jacob and said, Jacob, fear not to go down to Egypt. Go by. Judge providence by this right here. That's how you're going to know what providence is telling you. If you just judge by providence, you'll go wrong. Go by this word right here. Go by this word. Well, guess what happened to Joseph and his, his Joseph's brethren and the father? They went down to Egypt. And they had to go to Joseph. And they bowed to Joseph. Because they needed bread. They needed bread. It happened just like Joseph said it would happen. And you know what Joseph did? Now listen to this. They didn't know Joseph. Here's these brothers that had did they did this evil to Joseph, and they didn't know Joseph. They just went down there for some carnal bread. That's all they wanted. In fact, they took some almonds down there to give him some almonds to give him some bread. You don't have to bring your almonds to God. He don't want your almonds. <laughs> but here's what Joseph did. Before they ever knew Joseph, Joseph knew them. And Joseph took the initiative. Joseph had already forgiven them before he made them know he had forgiven them. And here's how you know that. He revealed himself to them. And taught them who he was. And here's what happened. Look back at Genesis 45 and verse 4. Genesis 45 and verse 4. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. 
Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. Look at verse 7. God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye and go up to my father and say to him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me and tarry not. You know what I pray Christ to say to each one here tonight? God has made him Lord over this Egypt. Come down to him tonight. That's what we're going to have to do is come down to his feet. That's what we're going to have to do. Now watch. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen. That was the best part. That was the best land right there. The land of Goshen. Come to me and you'll dwell in the land of Goshen. And thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children and thy children's children and thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee. And so... Jacob, his father, and the mother, and their mother, they went down there and bowed down to Joseph too. Just like Joseph had said it would be in the dream. So God our Father, this is what He does. He has sent His Son. His Son has accomplished redemption. And this is what He's doing. This is why we're here tonight. Is through this Gospel. This is what... God our Father is teaching us that He's done with His Son and He's drawing His elect to Him. Just like He drew Joseph's brethren and Joseph's father to Him. That's what God's doing with this gospel. He's drawing His people to Him. He's going to have to make us see there's a famine and that famine's us. We can't produce life. We can't produce the righteousness we need. We can't produce anything we need that's going to make God receive us. And he's t teaching us to come to Christ. Just like Pharaoh said, go to Joseph. And he's drawing his people to our Lord Jesus. And he has mercy on his people. And here's the truth of it. Just like Joseph saw his brethren and knew his brethren, and even though they had done all that they had done to him, he knew them before they ever knew him. And He was being merciful to them before they ever knew anything about that mercy. He took the initiative to forgive them and be merciful to them before they ever knew anything about it. And He drew them to Himself and He revealed to them who He was. And that's what Christ is doing for His people. He has mercy on His people and He forgives us before as yet we even know Him. That's why He called us and gave us faith to believe Him. Now, if there's anybody here, and for the first time you're seeing what a famine you're in, and you're seeing what a sinner you are, go to the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to do anything. In your heart, you go to Him. 
you confess your, your need of Him. And if you can do that, it's because He's already drawn you to Him and shown you mercy before you ever knew He showed you mercy. It's because what He's done for His people. Go to Him. And what you will find is, you will find full provision. You'll find a storehouse full. You'll find life. You'll find righteousness. And He will make you dwell in the land of Goshen, the very best land. For all eternity. For all eternity. Now, we get to our text. Now here's our text. Joseph's brethren had been in the land of Goshen for many years. They've been there for years. They've been experiencing this nourishment from Joseph and enjoying this plenty that Joseph had provided for them for a long time. And then their father Jacob died. And it says, verse 15, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly repay us all the evil which we did to him. And they sent a messenger to Joseph. They didn't go to him. They sent somebody else to him. Saying, thy father did command before he died. And we don't really know if Joseph, Jacob said this or not. He might have. We don't know. The scripture doesn't say but they sent this messenger with this word. Probably sent Benjamin. Probably who they sent. Saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy Father. That's a, that's a good appeal. They're saying, We're servants of the God of your father. And they're saying, in other words, we're brethren with you just like your father. And they're saying, will you please forgive us? Verse 18, And his brethren also went after they sent this messenger with his message, then they went. And they fell down before his face and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And what did Joseph do? What did Joseph do? Look at the end of verse 18. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Look at verse 19. And Joseph said to them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And He comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Now the first thing I want us to see here, we see in Joseph's brethren, an illustration of believers. Been a long time in the gospel. Been a long time believing on the Lord Jesus. Been a long time enjoying His grace. And we see in them the unbelief that sometimes troubles God's believing people. After all Joseph had done for them, 
after all they had enjoyed and how Joseph had showed them he had forgiven them, put them in the land of Goshen, and they were enjoying all this rich blessing from Joseph. They feared Joseph would now take vengeance on them because of those sins they had committed against him. Now, child of God, do your sins, your sins, your sins, do your sins ever cause you to fear that the Lord's going to requite you for the evil you've done against Him? Now, our sin, our nature that we have, that we were born with, we still have it. We still have it. And this sin nature we have is nothing but unbelief. It's nothing but sin and it's nothing but unbelief. But God does not change. <laughs> Amen. Now, our, we fluctuate because of this sin nature. And one day, you, you're walking on the clouds and you've got faith and you believe in And then one day, we feel like and act like we never even heard of who God is in our unbelief. But God does not change. He has not changed at all. Not at all. He chose His people by free grace. He chose His people without any cause in us whatsoever. Jacob, Jacob, their father. Christ is the one who came to their mother and said, Jacob have I love, but Esau have I hated. They was in, both of them was, had the same father. Both of them was conceived at the same time. Both of them was in the same womb. And neither one of them had done anything, good or evil. And God said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Now if anybody wonders why God said that, Romans 9 says that the purpose of God according to election might stand. And this is a very important thing to get. Here's the purpose. People get mad. Why do you have to talk about election? We have to talk about election. That's right. Here's why. The purpose of God according to election is is that salvation might be by grace, by Him that calleth and not of our works. That's what it declares. You see, where it begins is where it's going to continue is where it's going to end. And that's with God doing the thing. Doing it from... He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the author and finisher of our faith. And He's got to do it all from beginning to end. God is going to get the glory for the salvation of His people. This is why people don't want to talk about election because when you start with election, you're taking it right from the beginning. You're taking it all out of a man's hands. And it's going to have to be taken all out of our hands. We're going to have to be made to see we are in the famine. And this is why they hated Joseph. This is why they hated Joseph. This is why they hate our gospel. Because when God says it has to be by grace, it has to be by God's grace. It's not of him that willeth. It's not of him that runneth. It's of God that shows mercy. And when he says that, what that's doing is, that's declaring just what Joseph declared to their father. These boys are sinners. And that made them mad. That made them mad. And that's... It's not that people don't understand the doctrine of election. It's not that people, it's that they do. That's why they get mad. Because the message of the doctrine of election is 
You and me who God saves, everybody God saves, are sinners who cannot save ourselves. That's the message of election. That's why Paul said, Is God unrighteous? God forbid. It's not of Him that willeth. It's not of Him that runneth. It's of God that shows mercy. So God doesn't change. And the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. If He's called you and revealed to you the Lord Jesus Christ, that never changes. Because it's all of grace. Romans 11.29 says, The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. That means God doesn't ever take them back. He said in Isaiah 45.17, Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Everlasting. You shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end. God's not going to call you to believe Him and put all your trust in Him and trust Him to save you and then say, ha, I, I just fool again. <laughs> That's not what He's going to do. You're not going to be ashamed for trusting Him. God can't lie. And He's not going to lie. He said, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Now, God's believing children hate our sins. We hate our sins. Nowhere, anytime, at any place in this book does it say you're saved by grace so it doesn't matter how you live. Just sin all you want to that grace may abound. Nowhere in this book does it say that. You're, you're, the way you live does matter. But it don't count. It's not going, you're not going to be saved by your works. But, how, but, but it does matter. It does matter. Why? Because we're wanting people to hear the gospel. That's why it matters. We want people to hear the gospel. But here's the thing. Our sins and our iniquities, they are evil. What these boys did to Joseph was evil. You could get that, can't you? Wouldn't you say that's evil to sell your brother to slave traders and him go down into Egypt and suffer all that he suffered? That was just evil. Our sins are all evil. They're all against God and they're all evil. And I'm not just talking about, I'm not talking about the things that we think of when we think of sin. Adultery and murder and drunkenness and all the things. I'm talking about iniquity. Iniquity is all the good that we do that does not measure up to the righteousness God demands. That's iniquity. And the problem we have is really is not thinking our sin is as bad as it really is. That's the problem we have. That's right. Thinking ourselves better than we really are. That's really the problem. Now, when you when you start to doubt because of your sins, you go to the Lord Jesus Christ. You go personally. Don't send somebody else. They sent somebody else to go to Joseph. No, you go personally to Him. And here's why you're going. It's called His throne of grace. And you go there to find grace to help in time of need. That's why you go. Because you, you, don't, you, you don't go to a physician if you're not sick. You don't go to His throne of grace unless you need grace. Why do you need grace? Because we're sinners. That's why we need grace. And we've sinned. 
and it's evil against him. But go to it. Why did Joseph now, why did he weep? They came, they sent this messenger. And it says when they sent the messenger saying, saying this, Joseph wept. Why did he weep? Two reasons. One, because they sent a messenger to him. They didn't come to him. And they sent this messenger saying, Forgive, I pray thee, now the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. Why did Christ weep at Lazarus' tomb? <coughs> there was just so much unbelief. He, he, they knew He was their life. They knew He had saved Lazarus. They knew Martha and Mary knew He was their life. And there they're weeping and they're just... This, this brother, I know we weep when we have a loved one. We're, we're brethren. We're in the same body. And if one, one member of your body hurts, your whole body hurts. And so if one brother suffers, we all suffer. And if one brother's weeping, we all weep. And, and, and that's understandable. No problem with that whatsoever. That's just, that's just so. But listen, brethren. Whatever happens to our brother... What are we wanting? Why are we here? I want to go be with Him. And whatever happens, either He's going to get well for a little while and then die and go be with Him, or He's just going to get to go be with Him now. I'm not trying to be... I hope that is rejoicing to you. Yeah. You remember when our Lord was going to the cross... And they were weeping because he's going to die. And that's, that's how you feel right now. They felt like that because this is their Lord and Master. And they've been with him for three and a half years and he's about to go to a cross and die. And they're weeping. He's about to die. And he said, If you love me, rejoice because I go to my Father. That's what the Lord said. And brethren, we can't help but weep. I know, but but what a reason to rejoice. Amen. I go to my Father. But we see something else. Here's another reason. And let me say this. I'll get off track here. But you go to Him yourself, to Christ. And go there. Don't put anybody between you and Christ. Don't put anything between you and Christ. Nothing. You go to Christ yourself. Confession of sin is not coming to the front of the church to some man-made altar. It's going to Christ our altar in heaven's eye. Confession of sin is not going to a priest or a preacher. Or It's going to Christ and <coughs> confessing what you are to Him. They sent somebody else. You go to Him. You go to Him. And here's something else in this Joseph's weeping. Our Lord Jesus Christ is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows we're weak. He knows we're weak. And this is a, this is a positive thing about it. He knows it. He already knows about us. Like as a father pitieth his children, the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers we're dust. Joseph was merciful to these brethren. He told them again what he already had told them. They'd already experienced it. They'd already been in the land of Goshen. And rather than 
rebuking them rather than being being strict with them. He just told them again what He already told them. Christ is going to make you and me know again and again and again and again what He already told us. What's the Gospel? Paul said, put them in remembrance. That's what the Gospel is. Him putting us in remembrance. And He promises those born of His Spirit, this is what He promises you, there is now no condemnation. Because of what Christ has done, there is no condemnation. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth My word, this is what Christ said, and believeth on Him that sent Me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And that's what Joseph's pictured here is telling them. And this is what our Lord continually makes us know. The first hour He saves you, and every time you come to Him with your doubts and your fears, this is what the Lord is continually reminding us and making us know all over again. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. I remember no more. How's this fear going to be put out of us? How's it going to be cast out of us? God is love. That's what John... God is love. God is love. You hear men say, God... God's a God of love. God is love. Christ is love. He is love personified. And perfect love casteth out fear. He's the only one that cast out fear. God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, God is love perfect love, and He is the one who's going to cast the fear out of our heart. He is. He is. You've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's how fear is going to be cast out. You come to Him. You, you, you start doubting and you become fearful. You won't even come to Him except for Him drawing you, just like the first hour. But you're going to come and you're going to pour out your heart to Him and you're going to confess your sin to Him and your unbelief to Him. And when it pleases Him, Spirit of God will make you know, just like the first hour, just like He's done over and over and over again since you've been in the land of Goshen. He's going to let you know again. You're a child of God. And you're a joint heir with Christ. Now go on and suffer with Him. And one of these days, you're going to be glorified together with Him. And that is... That's the only way we keep believing Him. That's the only way we keep rejoicing. That's the only way we keep hating our sin. That's the only way we keep coming to Him. Everything we need, He gives it. He gives it and keeps us coming to Him. And that's when He, when he does that. Psalm 103. Go there with me. I'm going to try to preach the second part of this tomorrow night because I haven't even got to my second point yet. 
I'll do that. I'll do that, Lord willing, tomorrow night. Psalm 103, 1. But when he works this and brings you to him, here's what you say. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Get that now. That means all of them. That's right. And that word forgiveth, ETH, means he don't ever, he don't ever stop forgiving them. They're forgiven. Forgiveth all thy iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things. And here's what you need right here. When you're in that place, here's what you need. And all that, this is what he does right here. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. What's that mean? Your youth is renewed like the eagles. The youngest day that you've ever had since you've been a believer is that first moment he entered into your heart and gave you life. That when you were a newborn baby. And every time he does this, your youth is renewed. Just like he just birthed you again. You know, what did he tell Peter? Peter, Peter's boasting, I won't forsake you. Peter, it's written in the scriptures, you're going to forsake me. You're going to deny me. Peter, no, I won't deny you. Peter, Satan has desired you that he might sift you as weak. But you're not going to fall away because I prayed for you that your faith is yeah. not. So you're not going to fall away. But when you are converted, didn't he already believe? Yeah. Wasn't he already born of God? Yeah. But when you're converted, when your youth is renewed like the eagles, <laughs> and you're born again, I'm telling y'all, we're born again and again and again and again and again and again and again. when you're converted, do what? Go tell my brethren about it. <laughs> Go tell them. Strengthen my brethren with what I'm showing you so their youth will be renewed like tables. And this is how He keeps you forever young <laughs> and keeps you flying like an eagle. And we need that, don't we? We need that. We'll get to the second part, Lord willing, tomorrow night. And that's very important because the second part, we're going to look at Joseph as a believer forgiving another believer. And we need to hear that too, don't we? Amen. We need to hear that too. All right, Brother John. What wonderful grace Joseph showed to his brothers. That was grace given to him by God the Father. 